I've heard a lot about mixed income developments uh, in the past where affordable housing becomes part of a larger development project. But most of the time I hear uh, some negative things about it. Yeah, so I you might be alluding to some of like the 80-20 deals that have been done in recent years where it's a, it's a very small affordable component um, related to some of the property tax exemptions that were available in the city. And, and there are some developers who really did really atrocious things, right? The, the corridor, you know, I don't know if you heard about that, but you know, it was a market rate development that had affordable units and basically they built two buildings essentially, right? And with the affordable units had one door and one set of amenities and the market rate tenants had another door with better amenities. And um, that's, just wrong, right? <laughs> but it's um, but I think now the city through these experiences um, is implementing more strategies in order to ensure there's better equality um, in terms of provision of services. But isn't, isn't the priority isn't the is the priority of this program to somehow mix incomes together really and to pretend that uh, there is no inequality in this world or is it to provide roof, uh, you know, shelter for people in certain areas in a realistic way? So if this strategy works and developers are willing to, to uh, develop housing in areas where otherwise they wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. so, so I think they're, they're very different markets in New York City. Yeah. And so the mixed mixed income approach only works in certain neighborhoods. So if you're talking about something in Chelsea, right, where rents are extremely high and you have a small percentage of, say you have 20% affordable units in it, um, what, what was happening in recent years is the developer was getting a massive, massive tax break in order to um develop those affordable units and the the stance of the city which i think is fair is if if public money is benefiting these developments you should be providing fair housing and that's the driver's fair housing and so in in lower income neighborhoods you're really limited by the the income of the local residents and whatever the market rents are there so sometimes you know in parts of the bronx the the market rents really isn't much higher than 80 percent of ami and for many of the residents there it's still too high but that's that's kind of your upper limit and the concept behind providing a range of incomes in the building is that it it should reflect the entire neighborhood um, it hopefully will reflect all of the residents that are there. Um, and, you know, it has to be, it has to be fairly distributed. And I think that's, that's the goal. Okay. Um, so what is your process of uh, finding properties to invest in? And uh, what is your criteria for selecting properties? Sure. So, um, <laughs> It's funny. So before the start of 2020, we were we were looking more at private sites. Um, we 
as an organization, as individuals, we've had a lot of success with RFP sites. So sites that were conveyed by cities. So a project we're finishing up now in New Britain, Connecticut, um, was conveyed by the city. That's a passive house building. Um, the two sites in the Bronx we're working on, those were city owned sites. Um, actually our most active sites are, are city owned sites. And, and so they're relatively low risk um, because you know that they're, they're a priority of the city and the state. Um, and there's also been already public engagement on what's going on in the site. And, and we've continued that throughout the process. Um, we have also, um, we're doing more work with nonprofits redeveloping their sites if they're underutilized. So what we typically look for is a site that can accommodate, uh, I would say 50 to 150 units. Um, that lower level gets harder and harder to finance. You know, it's, it's probably, you know, where we said 50, Four years ago, I'd probably say now it's more like 80. Um, they're just, it, construction costs are very high. It's difficult to finance smaller sites. Um, but so say, you know, 75 to 150 units. Um, we, we aren't big on the commercial space. Um, so usually what we'll do with the ground floor is try to implement um, a really dynamic community facility space. So we reach out to local nonprofits um, and we try to craft a program that, that's cohesive for the development. Um, so, you know, we don't like to have it just like, okay, well, you have this group in 2,000 square feet and this in one. Like, we want everyone to work together. It delivers a better, um, it delivers better access to services typically in a neighborhood if, if they speak to each other. Um, so that's, that's part of what we're doing in East New York right now with, um, a site that we won from the state. It was part of the vital Brooklyn initiative. Um, so the, the RFP specified that it should be for, um, for justice involved supportive housing, which is what we're doing. We're working with the women's prison association and the Osborne association. Um, and there will also be community facility space that will offer services for people in the community. Um, and we've also brought in some local, um, local groups that offer fitness classes. So, you know, part of the challenge for them is they don't have permanent space. Uh, they've been crying out for it for a long time. And um, by partnering organizations, we can have flex space where where they can have use of it, um, and it's something that's visible and it's something that's new and it's um, and it helps them meet their mission because they're small groups. In, in you know, one of them is a nonprofit. Um, they really just take donations to run the classes, and um, but it just it provides better options in the neighborhood. Those are our favorite types of developments. Most of your properties are they rental properties or are they for sale what we do so we just do rental housing we do affordable rental housing. so per square foot how do they compare market rate versus your affordable housing your so office? yeah you know i don't know the per square foot number off the top of my head but i know so we're working we're actually working on two sites um on east new york avenue in in that neighborhood and there was a market rate building constructed across the street from where we're working and i think their 
rent it like they're one bedroom units i think they were trying to rent them for like 16 or 1800 a month or something like that whereas for one unit for one bedroom unit and you know i don't know how much luck they're having <laughs> with actually renting up that building but it's extraordinarily high for what's for what's affordable for people living in that neighborhood um, and so for an affordable housing development, you know, depending on your income tiering, um, you know, you'll have units that are, you know, maybe $600 a month up to, you know, maybe $1,200 a month. It, it's, it's a big range. So on, on average, you're looking at about 25% less than market rate. There must be some kind of... Uh... Yeah. I mean, again, it really, really depends on the neighborhood. Yeah. So in in the Bronx, um, where, you know, there are parts of the Bronx where the market rate rents are quite low compared to other parts of the city. And in, you know, for, for example, this building, that the buildings that we're leasing up now, we do have 80 and 90% AMI units that are essentially priced um, near market rent. So, um, you know, and... So what's the difference in the benefit of the community in that particular case? Yeah, so there, you know, because we had a lot of discussions, we're actually in two community boards, two buildings, two different community yeah. boards, um, unfortunately the same council member, and and these were city-owned sites, and they were actually, it was a multi-phase, so we didn't work on the first phase. The first phase was the low-income phase, and the intention of these two buildings was originally to have them be home ownership. Um, but then after the recession, the goal was to have it be middle income housing. And um, what it ultimately turned into was this mixed approach where, you know, we, we met with the community board and what we heard was that, um, you know, there were a lot of, there are a lot of public housing units in that district and they felt like most of the new affordable housing was just for the 30 to 60 percent ami folks and for people you know for an individual who's making more than that you know who's maybe working in manhattan or you know who's making 60 or seventy thousand a year they can't qualify and so they they can't afford to live in the city and they can't afford to, they make too much to stay in their neighborhood. So what we heard was that there was some desire to have some of these middle income units for, for these individuals who were making more um, and wanted to stay. Cause it does, you know, the site does have good access to transportation. Um, you know, it's new, new construction. Um, they're, they're tiny buildings, so they don't really have much <laughs> amenities. You know, it's not, a, it's not a, you know, a giant gym or anything like that. Um, but it's beautiful new construction. It's energy efficient. Um, and it's replacing what were just garbage-filled lots for right. the past 30 years. Right. So they, the, the, the true benefit of the community is that the community does not disintegrate. The people don't leave. That's the true benefit. Well, I think it's part of it is retaining, right, retaining local residents. I mean, that's a common thing that we heard. And and part of um, part of the development, too, is that there are 15% um, of the units are for homeless households, too. So it's really, it's touching upon a really big range of income populations in the neighborhood. We, the only site where um, we're really seeing Section 8 is um, a, a, an affordable senior development that we're working on. 
So HPD has a program called Sarah. Um, it's, um, it's just focused on senior housing. And part of that, part of the program is that they provide project-based Section 8 vouchers for all of the units. Because what, um, what they were finding over the years was that AMI levels for seniors, in many cases, they're really not anywhere above 40% of AMI. So the broader affordable housing programs were not meeting the needs of those residents. So what they do now is they have um, project-based Section 8 associated with it, um, which also means that it becomes a prevailing wage construction job. Um, so it does add a lot of cost to the, to the construction process as compared to non-prevailing wage sites. There's also tenant-based Section 8, um, which we, um, we have heard, you know, we're doing the marketing for this building in the Bronx and we've heard that many of the homeless referral, homeless unit referrals may have tenant-based vouchers. Um, so that, you know, that, that would, you know, address their need to cover rent. Um, and, you know, it helps address building operations as well, but, you know, they're in short supply. Um, the, the only new vouchers that I really hear becoming available is through these senior programs. And then, you know, other projects may get a small handful of them, but it's, it's not widely distributed. What is it called? LIHTC? Is it the uh, Low Income Housing? What are they? Low Income Housing Tax Credit. Right. So how does this process, how does this work for the developers and for nonprofits and whatnot? Mm -hmm. how, how does the LIHTC process work? Sure. So each state gets, um, gets an allocation of federal low income housing tax credits each year. And then the state issues through a qualified allocation plan um, with competitive criteria, they issue those to developers each year. So it's a very formal process. There's a lot of documentation, a lot of paperwork. Um, and as a developer, when you receive an award of the low income housing tax credits, um, what you do is you engage, you know, along with all your other um, soft subsidy providers, you engage a bank, usually, or a tax credit investor. And what they do is they buy those credits, um, you know, in some cases more than a dollar. And so they're able to write off their income, you know, on their, their corporate income. And in exchange, we get equity to build the development. And in many cases, that equity can be 50 to 60% of the total capital stack to build the project. So it's it's a really big, it can be a very big cash infusion, infusion for the project. Um, and it's a really valuable resource. Um, the, the way the credit is allocated, it's, um, it's a 10 year credit. Um, so the, but the, it's a 15 year regulatory period. So from the time you start operating your property, for the next 15 years, you're, you're still engaged with that investor, um, they're involved in asset management, and at the end of 15 years, you'll have some sort of capital event where you'll take them out. So it will either be a refinance of the property or potentially a sale, it really depends, but it's a, it's a very long-term relationship. So Terry, last question, I'm just curious what your favorite uh, project has been so far in your career? 
have a lot. Um, they tend to be driven, you know, I, I have three that I'm working on right now that, that I love because they're with really passionate nonprofits with executive directors and boards that have these fantastic missions. Um, you know, one of the sites is on East New York Avenue in Brooklyn. Um, the, the nonprofit there is called Family Services Network of New York. And they, they started in the 80s. They were really focused on addressing the HIV AIDS crisis at that time. And they've expanded their services uh, over the years. And, and they bought a former police station to develop into a community facility. And, um, and then ultimately found out it's just riddled with asbestos and it was going to be too expensive to fit out. So we were introduced to them a number of years ago. And so we've been working with them to try to get that financed. And, um, they, they have been holding out for a long time to turn this into affordable housing. They could have sold many times over to do market, you know, to sell it to a market rate developer. Um, but they really believe in the mission of providing affordable housing in that community, of providing more health services. Um, they're very engaged. So we, we feel, I mean, we love them <laughs> and we, you know, we, we get emotionally tied up in these projects. I mean, that's, it's just a fact we get emotionally tied up and we try to be, you know, when we're looking at it, we try to, you know, we need to manage risk. We need to be responsible. We need to you know, be, um, be prudent about putting together a capital stack. Um, but the truth of the matter is once we get over that hump, we're just all in with our hearts because that's what they're doing. And if we can amplify what they're doing in the community, I mean, that's, that's huge for us. That's, that's a goal for us. And we're, we're working with a YWCA up in Schenectady um, to redevelop their site. And um, they're also just a group of really badass women, you know, like they're doing, they're doing fantastic stuff. And, and um, despite all of their challenges in, in, you know, of trying to develop in that community, um, their one goal is just provide more resources for survivors of domestic violence. It's what they do. Um, and, and so we're really working hard to try to help them do that. So, and one more question that just came to me. Uh, what do you think women bring to development that men don't? <laughs> so, hmm. if anything, maybe nothing. Yeah, but, uh, no, I, 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 I think we do because I, you know, as a woman, I always want to be treated fairly. You know, I don't want to be prejudged or anything. But, um, but I think a lot of times we maybe bring a little more empathy to the table um, than others might. And, and like I said, we have to be, you know, we have to be fiscally responsible and, and make sure we're managing a project well. But- Do um, so you but, feel women tend to be more empathetic than men? On occasion, it depends, it depends. You know, I mean, we've worked, believe me, we've worked with plenty of men that are very empathetic. Um, you know, we've, we've had some fantastic male partners and, we we benefit from some really great relationships with men and women that are just doing very good work in the affordable housing space. So we we try to identify like-minded individuals 
Because um, like I said, it's, it's a long-term process. We're going to be engaged with each other for a long time. So we have to make sure we can, we can trust each other to do good work.